0: Hi, this is Ben Lola back to the Bible Canada. On this Good Friday, we finish our series Journey to the Cross with the story of what happened on that great day of Jesus' resurrection. Let's listen now to this special Easter message from Dr. John Newfeld entitled, Sunday, the journey ends with a shout
1: of triumph. Imagine you were to interview four reliable witnesses of a car accident. Imagine the four witness the accident from a different perspective, one in a car just behind the accident, the second standing beside the road, the third on the overpass, and the fourth standing, kitty corner to the second witness, also beside the road. Now, the mere fact that the perspective changes means that each one recounts what will be slightly different. Each one has seen the events and reports them with absolute accuracy, but the things he sees are unique to his vantage point. One of the ways you become certain about the accuracy of the witnesses is that they don't tell exactly the same story, although they all witnessed the same event. That doesn't mean any one of them lied or even made mistakes. If the events were exactly the same, it wouldn't be an accurate story. It would be collusion. It would mean the four conspired together to give us a consistent account, but then it wouldn't be a true account. True accounts mean that each eyewitness tells us exactly what they saw from the perspective that they were standing. But there is a cool thing about having four witnesses. When you compare their stories, combine their accounts, you really do get a whole picture of what really happened in a way that one eyewitness never could. You could reconstruct the events and become absolutely certain that what is being said accurately reflects what actually happened. There are four eyewitness accounts, in the New Testament concerning the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and we've been following and reconstructing the event called Passion Week. And when you put all these events together, a very clear picture emerges. What emerges is an accurate, historical, non-manipulated picture of what Jesus actually experienced during Passion Week. Today I'm going to put together the four eyewitness accounts of the resurrection of Jesus. What we're going to see is what really happened 2,000 years ago. It's not collusion, it's not invented, not made up for the sake of helping people believe the unbelievable, but rather a picture of something that changed the way that we would all see the world. In the last living moments on the cross, Jesus cried out with a loud voice and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. With that, he bowed his head and died. At that very moment, the veil in the temple, that thick, rich, ornamental curtain hiding the covering of the Holy of Holies, was torn in two from top to bottom. There was a great earthquake in the city. The rocks were split as the city of Jerusalem reeled under the outrage of the death of Christ. One centurion, witnessing this phenomenon, cried out, Truly, this was the Son of God. There were a group of women, all that were left of the followers of Christ, who stayed to the bitter end. The disciples had all fled, and there, as the day was wearing on, there, on the cross, hung the dead, lifeless body of Jesus. It must have seemed barren and cold and overwhelmingly empty. The show was over. Everyone was going home. For that group of courageous and faithful women, hope had died that day. The Jesus movement was now officially over. All that was left for humiliated people was to comfort each other, find solace in some way, live through the humiliation to come, and try to get on with their lives. There were a few courageous people left. One was a man named Joseph of Arimathea, a member of the Jewish Sanhedrin and a secret follower of Jesus. Because he had standing in the community, he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission. Joseph climbed the ladder of the cross and yanked out nails out of this mangled and lifeless corpse and let it fall in a crumpled heap to the ground. He was joined by another secret follower, also in the Sanhedrin, Nicodemus. Then they took clean linen and wrapped him up carefully, quickly added some spices, and they must have put the body on a cart and brought it to a tomb Joseph had purchased for his family's burial site. No one had ever been laid there before. Since it was almost the Sabbath and the sun was setting, there was no way to prepare the body properly. According to all the Jewish burial customs, Joseph simply laid it in his tomb, cut out of a rock. Because the way bodies decay without embalming in a hot climate, he no doubt had a stone rolled in front of it until someone would come back after the Sabbath and do it all right. The women at the cross all followed Joseph to the tomb. No doubt they were stunned and weeping and making up their minds that once Sabbath was over, they would come back and properly prepare the body. In the meantime, because of the unrest in the city, a full Roman guard was placed outside the tomb to guard it. There would be no disturbance here, only the dead body of Jesus slowly decaying from the consciousness of his followers. This was clearly the end. Sabbath came and went, and now it was Sunday. Just at sunrise, the group of the women who had been at the cross gathered together. They had spices and burial perfumes to hide the odor of death. His burial would be proper. No doubt, they were not sure how to roll the stone away, but they would go and try. This was their last act of love for a hope that had now died. Among them were Mary Magdalene, another Mary, the mother of two of the disciples. There was Salome and Joanna and probably some more not mentioned in the accounts. They went as a group to get it done. And on the way there came a second earthquake. Of course, the women could not have known what the second earthquake meant. But at that moment, at the tomb, angels, powerful, mighty warriors of God, descended on the tomb. The Roman guard, battle-hardened, fighting men, had never seen such a phenomenon. They may have thought this amazing spectacle came from the gods, and in sheer, raw, unstoppable terror, they ran much as cowards do in the day of battle. Even though deserting their post might lead to their execution, to remain was far more frightening than anything that Rome could mete out. And with the guards gone, the angels pulled away the stone, and Jesus stepped out of the tomb. He had broken death's power, defeated the great ancient enemy, and laid it in ruins. This is the day that death died. This was the day that Christ announced his triumph over demons, hell, sin, and despair. This was the day when the seed of the woman crushed the head of the serpent. This was the day when deathless life for the first time was introduced into this earth. This was the dawn of a new era, an everlasting life, an eternal life, a life that is right now promised to all who will believe. That doesn't mean that followers of Jesus will not die. It only means that the same life that raised Jesus from the dead is infused into all who believe. It's called the new birth. It's called regeneration. It means that a down payment of the life to come has already come into the experience of believers now but I'm getting far ahead of myself. But there was none to see the actual resurrection that needs to be said. No disciples, no women, no Joseph of Arimathea, No. none of the Roman soldiers saw it, only the angels saw it. So how do we know this thing really happened? Well, you have to listen to the rest of the story. The women weren't quite there yet, but just shortly after that, they arrived at the tomb and found that the stone was rolled away. No guards, just silence. But the place was not quite deserted. Mary Magdalene did see two men standing there, but she did not know that they were angels. The other women also wondered what all this meant. No doubt a discussion arose immediately. Mary seems to have left the group and and gone back to the city looking for Peter and John. She found them and gave her explanation of what she had seen. She said, they have taken him. And by that, she meant the soldiers or maybe the authorities or the Jewish leaders or whoever they meant, they had removed the body. This was just another outrage, another mocking, another reminder that they were a defeated group. And while she was away seeking Peter and John, the rest of the women remained. One of the angels led the other women into the tomb and showed them the grave clothes of Jesus, all neatly folded and put into a funeral bench where he had been laid, and then looked at them and asked, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Go tell the disciples he is risen. He is going before you to Galilee, up north, where he used to minister, and there you will see him. The women left the tomb and hurried to find the disciples. Meanwhile, Mary Magdalene, unaware of this other event, has found Peter and John and told them about the theft of Jesus' body. The two men make their way to the tomb, but soon the urgency of it and the outrage of it, well, emotions just take over and they begin to run. John is younger and he gets there first and peers in. She's right, no body. Peter, huffing and puffing, comes up behind him, always far more impulsive, bursts into the tomb and sees the grave clothes neatly folded. John, who wrote of this, simply confessed that neither he nor Peter understood the scriptures and the prophecies that Christ would rise from the dead. But John says he instantly believed Jesus was raised from the dead. But Peter didn't. And it is confusing. They leave without any answers and they wander slowly back into Jerusalem. You know, when we come back, we're going to see how confusion and sorrow and the death of hope gave rise to a confident certainty that Jesus Christ and He alone is the only hope for this world. He has conquered over death and behold, He lives.
0: This introduction has given us a realistic yet vivid picture of what happened on the day that Jesus rose from the grave. Seeing it through the eyes and the perspective of all four gospel writers, we benefit from a greater, more complete picture. But the story isn't over. And after the break, Dr. Newfeld will return to the scene of the empty tomb. There stands Mary for the first encounter of the risen Christ. Experience the land of ancient Greece on our upcoming New Testament Greece by land and by sea tour, coming this April 24th to May 5th, 2017. On this intimate tour, guests will walk in the footsteps of Paul, discovering much of his missionary journey and the incredible historic and biblical sites of Greece by land and by sea. Enjoy daily teaching from Dr. John Newfeld. Be encouraged by Phil Calloway of Laugh Again and inspired by the music of the Weebs. For more information, call 1 800 663 2425. That's 1 800 663 2425. Or visit us online at backtothebible.ca. Now let's go back to the Bible with Dr. John Newfeld.
1: On that day after Peter and John had left the empty tomb, Mary is left standing beside that tomb. And as she stands there all alone, she simply starts to weep. She can't control the cascade of emotions, the hopelessness and despair she felt rolling over her. And then still weeping, she looks deeply into the tomb for the first time. She walks right in and finds herself staring at two angels. She's speechless and they speak. Why are you weeping? She begins to explain, they've taken him away, and then she repeats, and I don't know where he is. And then suddenly there's another man behind her. She notices him, but doesn't even turn around. It must be the gardener. He quietly asks her, woman, why are you weeping? And she, without as much as looking up as tears continue to come, answers in the same way again. They've taken him away. It's now so barren. She has so few words. And then the man says, Mary. Mary. And how often she had heard that voice before. That was the voice that had driven out her seven demons. That was the voice that had called her to follow him when everyone else rejected her. That was the voice that taught her about the kingdom of God. That was the voice that healed the lame and the blind. That was the voice that assured her that God loved her. That was the voice that had caused her to believe in the first place. Almost as if out of control, she whirls around, and there, there stands not the gardener, but her Savior, Jesus. And in a voice of devotion, she whispers for, that's all she can do, Rabboni. It means teacher. I find it fascinating that Jesus revealed himself the way he lived. He showed his glory to those whom he had chosen, and the first person that saw him raised was a despised woman from the fringes of society. Jesus wanted it that way, and he still does. To this day, he calls those whom others easily reject. But again, I'm getting way ahead of myself. Of course, Mary wants to cling to him, but he won't let her. He simply says, I have not yet ascended to the Father, but you go to my brothers and you tell them what you've just seen. News of Mary's encounter spread as well as what Peter and John had seen, but most simply don't believe that dead men rise. These were not gullible men. They were hard realists who knew about pain and loss and death. These were not pampered men with weird stories of the life to come. These men had witnessed death often before, and they had seen it now. Jesus was brutalized in front of them. They had lost their courage, and they had lost their faith. Two of them went back to Emmaus, about 10 kilometers from Jerusalem. They had had enough. And as they walked, they were discussing all the things that had happened. And at one point, a man joined them. But somehow, God kept their eyes from recognizing him. And soon the man is explaining from Scripture that the Christ had to be crucified and rise again. It's all quite profound. And they invite him home, for, for he's so fascinating. And as he joins them for a meal, and as he breaks bread, God opens their eyes, and they realize who he is. How could they not have known? They simply stare. Here is the man who is their Lord, and with that he vanishes. During that same day, Jesus appeared to the other women who had come to the tomb. Also, at some point in that day, Jesus appeared to Peter, just the two of them. Nothing is said about that encounter. Remember, Peter has denied Jesus, and what was said at that time was between the two of them. I can only imagine the healing and the love and the life that was breathed into Peter. And by evening of that amazing Sunday, 10 of the 11 disciples gathered in a locked room for fear of the Jewish religious leaders. They exchanged the amazing events of that day, the story of Mary and the women, Peter's encounter, the two at Emmaus. But the story was still so far out, so utterly fantastic, they couldn't comprehend it. They might have ended the day in doubt and fear, confusion and exhaustion. After all, so much had happened. They just needed time to think about it, get some rest, and form conclusions when they could think more clearly. And then suddenly, Jesus was in the room. How did he get in? If the door is locked, perhaps this is some kind of a vision or a ghostly encounter. But he sure looks real. And then he speaks. Do you think I'm a spirit, an apparition? Do you not believe? come and see my hands and feet. Feel where the nails were driven in and see where the spear sliced through my side. Touch me. I made of flesh and bones. I am real. And they did. But it was incredible. Is this really happening? Then he said, do you have something to eat? And there he sat down and ate with them. Eight days later, he appeared a second time, this time with Thomas in the room. You remember doubting Thomas. He's simply vocal. You guys are lunatics. And with that, he loudly announces, unless I see the hands and the marks of the nails, unless I place my finger into them and my hand into his side, I will never believe. And again, Jesus enters the room. Go ahead, Thomas. Go ahead. Do what you said you must do. And as nervous, trembling hands, search out the crater that the nails carved out. For he is realizing that which is now undeniable, Thomas feels his knees giving way, and he now on his knees whispers, my Lord and my God. For the next 40 days, Jesus spent time with them. Once they went fishing and Jesus made breakfast for them. At that same time, Jesus went for a long walk with Peter and repeatedly asked him, Peter, do you love me? It broke Peter's heart, but Jesus wanted Peter to understand the ministry he was entrusting to him and the suffering he would be required to undergo. He would reinstate Peter, give him dignity, and assure him of his love and the cause for which he must now live. Once Jesus met with his brother James, who had never believed in him throughout Jesus' entire ministry, and James, like Thomas, came to believe and actually became a leader in the church of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem. Once he actually preached to a crowd of 500, and they never forgot it as long as they live. And finally, he gathered all of them on the mountain in Galilee and gave them the great commission. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And that's how you get a Christian church. And that's how you get a Christian faith. People have been preaching this account of Jesus, and people have been believing in him. And they have received the same life that raised him from the dead. It's called the new birth, in which the life of the kingdom of heaven is imparted to them. It gives them hope and meaning and a future and a fearless disregard of the terror of death. And with that, he was taken up to heaven with a promise that he would return. And when he does, the earth will be his. Those who reject him will look up and they will mourn. And those who delight in him and are instructed, lift up your head, for your redemption is at hand. This is the Easter story. It's safe to say that there is simply no account in all of human history like this one. But what you have heard is exactly what happened. It is true. For it was witnessed by many, and it was recorded by four eyewitnesses, and it has transformed millions and millions and millions of people for 2,000 years. For it happened in real history with real people who had real doubts just the way we do, and these real people came to believe, people very much like you. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever believed? Perhaps you've never heard this story before the way it's been retold. And perhaps now you're saying for the first time, I understand. I know what this is all about. I know that Jesus is the Christ, and I know that he's the Son of God. And I know that he came on a cross and died for my sins. And I know he proved who he was by rising from the dead and demonstrating that he is alive forever. And for the first time I've come to see and I'd like to believe. And if that's you, Easter would be a wonderful time for you to become a believer in Jesus Christ. Ever after this moment, you would always remember it was at Easter that I gave my life to Christ. It was at Easter that my life was actually changed. So I'm going to invite you to pause with me and simply pray a prayer. And the prayer will go like this. Lord Jesus, I've come to understand who you actually are. You are God come to us in human flesh. You came with an amazing ministry that I've never understood until now. But I wanna tell you that I do understand and I do believe. Thank you for showing it to me. Lord, I now surrender my life into your hands. Would that same life that raised Jesus from the dead also be infused into me? Here I am, make me your servant. I ask you, transform my life so that I could take your hand and that you would lead me through this life and also into the life to come. Thank you for the way, the truth, and the life I believe. Amen. If that's your prayer, I want to encourage you, make sure that you find a local church that teaches the Bible and become a part of that. God bless you, and have a blessed Easter. John, what an incredible
0: conclusion to this series, Journey to the Cross. And now next week, we move into a different series called I Will Tell. And it just makes perfect sense. The transition from Easter to telling
1: the gospel story. What's involved with that message? Yeah, Indeed, it does make a great deal of sense because this story is so wonderful. How can we keep it to ourselves? And so what we want to do is to talk about evangelism. And for all those who are afraid of the word, I think we're going to try to make it a way in which evangelism becomes a way of life, that the telling of the account of Jesus and telling what he's done in our lives uh, becomes something that we just can't keep to ourselves. Our culture must know this account.
0: Well, we look forward to this brand new series, I Will Tell, which will take place all the next week. So join us, would you, on Monday for more of Back to the Bible Canada. He is risen. He is risen indeed. For Christians around the world, Easter is perhaps the most significant and important tradition that we will celebrate every year. We take the time to remember that Jesus, the one and only Son of God, came to die on a cruel cross so that you and I might have the opportunity for salvation and an eternity with Him in heaven. In 1 Peter chapter one, verses three and four, Paul wrote, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Today, let's take intentional time to read, reflect, and respond with our lives to this amazing story. The truth that sits at the very core of all who choose to believe and to discover the hope that can only be found in Jesus Christ. On behalf of Dr. Newfeld and the entire ministry team at Back to the Bible Canada, may this Easter draw you into a deeper and more profound understanding of God's love than you've ever known before. To God be the glory.